The Ten Commandments, they are God's life to us. And even though they are in the Old Testament, and it was the Old Testament covenant that he gave to the people, it reflects his, who he is. So I just want to open in prayer and ask that um, God's word will, will stand above us and that we will submit to it and that uh, I'll be clear what I want to say and that it'll be God's words through scripture pouring through the sermon. Uh, Father God, we just come to you right now and we acknowledge that you have revealed yourself to us and that what you have for us and for our life is from your heart and um, we have to give up our conceptions about you and we have to come to you and honor you through your word and you will, you will change us and we'll be better off for it. And we just submit to you right now, we just submit to your word and we submit to what you gave to the people of God so long ago in the Ten Commandments. And we just ask that you apply it to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, I, uh, yeah, Doug asked me, what, what do you want to preach on in, uh, of the Ten Commandments? And I kind of looked through them. I said, well, i got to think about it. And then I ended up picking, um, you, shall, you shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. And... Um, <laughs> I'll be honest, right now at work, I got a couple people that I'm working with that I'm sometimes having a hard time with when it comes to saying something and not following through with that, and it's getting kind of frustrating. And so I kind of was like, oh, yeah, I want to, I want to look at that and stuff. But I think God's been putting it on my heart that telling the truth is more than just a spoken word, and it's so much, so much deeper than that. And as I started to read into this and study it, I just got convicted by God that I'm not where I need to be on this either. So this message is for me as well. Um, if you can remember, I don't know how many people watch TV and stuff, but about a month ago, this is about the fourth year of this, um, Jimmy Kimmel, he's got a talk show, and right after Halloween, he's got this thing that comes on where he says, uh, I told my kids, or I lied to my kids, and I told them I ate all their candy. And so what it is is you can send in your, this video of you videotaping, telling your kids the next morning or the next day or whatever, yeah, you went to bed last night, and while you were sleeping, uh, I ate all your candy, like all of it. And then they get reactions from the kids and stuff, and it's, it's pretty humorous, and it's been going on for about four years now. And uh, they send all these videos in, and you can watch them and stuff like that. And I just started thinking about that and how in our culture, what does our culture think about lying? And uh, from my experience and from talking to people and seeing people's character and just and even myself, I, I kind of sometimes think that, a general understanding in our culture, maybe I'm wrong on this, but is that lying is wrong, but I think everybody does it now and then. And sometimes it can have bad consequences, so be careful what you lie about. But sometimes, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's useful or sometimes it's kind of necessary. I, I think that's kind of how we our culture views it. Like, be wise about it. You can lie because sometimes you need to, but it's not recommended. And we don't have a lot of respect for people who are known for liars in our culture. And so I started digging more into it, and I thought, well, what, is, what do other people think about this? And uh, I stumbled across BBC, BBC's website, and they had different articles on morality, and one of them on ethics and stuff, and one of them was on lying. And uh, it was kind of like a point form. It was philosophical and different aspects of truthfulness, and it was, it was pretty good. It had a lot of information that got me thinking. And one section was nine reasons why lying is wrong. And I'm just going to quickly read them off. And some of them are kind of helpful, but I think even then, I think it doesn't really get down to the heart of the matter. So 
Number one, okay, first it said, there are many reasons why people think lying is wrong. Which one resonates best with you will depend on the way you think about ethics. So, number one, lying is bad because generally truthful world is a good thing. Lying diminishes trust between human beings. Number two, lying is bad because it treats those who are lied to as a means to achieve the liar's purpose rather than as a valuable end in themselves. So some of these are they're going to be pretty good, but I think even then I think we need to get down to more of a core. Lying is bad because it makes it difficult for the person being lied to to make a free and informed decision about the matter concerned. Four, lying is bad because it cannot be sensibly made into a universal principle. And so it says, many people think that something should only be accepted as an ethical rule if it can be applied in every case. And I still don't really know what that one's all about. Um, five, lying is bad because it is basically a moral wrong. Six, Lying is bad because it's something that good people don't do, which is kind of circular reasoning, I don't know. But um, Seven, lying is bad because it corrupts the liar. So if you're willing to lie, then chances are you feel kind of bad about it and you know it's wrong, but then you're like, hey, it's not the end of the world, so then you start doing other things. Um, Eight, this is kind of an interesting one. Some religious people argue lying is bad because it misuses the God-given gift of communication. So God gave us human speech so that we could communicate our feelings to one another and we end up deceiving each other. And the ninth one is, some philosophers say lying is bad because language is essential to human societies and carries the obligation to use it truthfully. And so I was kind of looking at BBC saying all this stuff, and then further down was, what harm do lies do? And then it kind of got more subjective, and when is it okay to lie? And then there was kind of philosophical arguments for different things, and I want to kind of talk about four of them that were kind of examples. And sometimes these are kind of gray areas that we need kind of wisdom on, because... I think some people would say it's, it's wrong to lie in every situation, and it probably is, but these are really sometimes hard. So one of these is kind of a classical argument that's been made. And if you can think about World War II, where people were hiding Jewish people in their attics and in their farms and in their wine cellars and different things like that, and when the Nazis came to ask them if they, had, if they were hiding anybody, and then they would lie and say, no, we are not hiding anybody. So that's, that's a one scenario. The second one would be if you want to surprise somebody, like some, say sometimes, say sometime you want to, you want to have a, like a 10th birthday party for your child and you're going to invite all the neighborhood kids, their friends from school, their friends from church, maybe their grandparents are coming from out of town and they're kind of on your trail on this and they kind of are kind of figuring it out and uh, where do we draw the line there where we, if they straight up ask us, oh, are, we, are you guys having a surprise party for me kind of thing? Uh, the third one would be joking, when it involves tricking somebody. And a lot of times, joking does involve deceiving somebody for a time being and then telling them, hey, I was, pulling your, I was pulling your leg there, and it's all fun and games. And the fourth one is maybe flattery. And this one's pretty popular, too, where it's obvious that <laughs> somebody says something to you and it's not the truth. And uh, there's, there's lots of different examples there. And maybe one would be going to somebody's house and they just made an awful meal and you want to compliment them on it because you're trying to build a friendship with them. So um, today, Kevin and Maggie are coming to our house for lunch, so feel free to tell the truth when you guys come today. So we won't be, we won't be offended or anything. But. So these are kind of four areas where BBC was talking about it. Uh, I don't know if they gave those ex- exact examples, but they were kind of talking about, you know, like, when's it okay? When's it not okay? And I think and they don't have a moral compass. They're just giving a perspective of our world, right? 
And so I think we need to maybe get down to more of a biblical understanding than what, than what BBC is offering us. So I was kind of looking into it, and I just thought, well, man, I don't have a lot to work with here. I got, I got, one, I got one line. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And I was thinking, how do I open that up? How do I break that down in a, service, in a sermon? And I just thought, maybe I've got to look, start looking at the context here. So I, I looked at Exodus 19, and eventually I just felt God saying, just go back to um, the beginning of Exodus in chapter 3, where God met with Moses, and he, and he described who he was. So if you can remember the burning bush incident, I don't know if Moses and the people of God, how much they really knew about God. I think they knew um, our ancestors back then. We had Jacob and Abraham, and they worshipped a God. But I don't know how clear he was in their life. And it even talks about that a little bit in Exodus, about uh, God re-revealing himself to the people of God. And so God meets with Moses, and Moses says, okay, okay, I'll go down there. Like, what if they don't listen to me? Who should I say sent, sent me to come? And then, like, what if they ask me, what is his name? What should we tell him? Or what should I tell him? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And I looked at the description on, in my Bible in Exodus 3, and it's talking about I am who I am, and that, that is God's name. And it, it is... It's very close in sounding to the word Yahweh, which we, which we use as God's proper name. And uh, in the whole Old Testament, if you see the, the words capital L-O-R-D, that'll be translated, that is Yahweh, or I am who I am. So when you read through the whole Old Testament and you see the Lord, he's just saying, I am who I am. And he's saying that throughout the whole, the whole Old Testament. This is his character, and he's unchanging. And he's before all things. And so Moses and God are talking, and then God continues to say, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, or I am who I am, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. And so then I I just kept reading, and I read through how God did the plagues, and he pulled the people out of Egypt, and the people, the Israelites are starting to be like, wow, this is amazing, this is a real God, this is not like the Egyptian gods. And... Then they get into the desert, and for some reason, they start grumbling right in the beginning, which is, it seems weird. I, I guess maybe we would do that too, even though we say we wouldn't. It's, it's pretty crazy to think that he's done these amazing things. He parted the Red Sea, they're walking through, and then right away, they start grumbling about him not providing. And so there, that goes on for a little while, and then eventually, we come to Exodus 19, and this is the context of the Ten Commandments. Uh, they, they were given in a context where God said, I met you, Moses, and I want to meet the people. And so if you guys remember Exodus 19, what happens is Moses brings them to Mount Sinai, which is, um, I, don't know, I don't know exactly where, how to explain where it is. It's like by the Red Sea at the tip of, I don't, I don't <laughs> now I'm lost, I can't find a map here, but it's in between Egypt and Israel, way down in the desert there. And it's in the middle of nowhere, and God, this is where he wants to meet with the people. So God brings them down there, and he says to them, he, he presents himself to Moses, and he says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. And God is kind of presenting himself, I was reading, and it's it's 
kind of the way that a king back then would present himself. If he conquered a nation, he would say, okay, you belong to me now, and I will take care of you, but these are the things I expect from you. And this is the context of the Ten Commandments. So God is revealing himself, and he's saying, I am who I am, and this is who, and I'm going to, by following these things, these are the things I want from you. So it, right before 19, God actually says, okay, get, you guys, get you yourselves ready, because on the third day I'm coming down from the mountain. And I don't think we think about this too much, but if you can picture yourself in that context, sitting there with, and in hearing that from Moses, okay, like in three days on the third day, God, the God who destroyed the Egyptians, did all those plagues that's coming down from the mountain. So prepare yourselves, prepare your hearts, and we're going to meet him face to face. He's going to come and meet us in person. And I don't think we think about it all the time, but just the anxiety and the, the kind of the fear of, like, what is that going to be like? Like, the person who created all of eternity. And it, it kind of describes it a little bit in 19, verse 6, or chapter 19, verse 16. It said, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountains, or the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord descended on it with fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. And then the Ten Commandments are given, and God actually speaks them to the people. And in chapter, after the Ten Commandments are done, it says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God to speak to us, or we will die. And so God, from the mountain, is, is pouring forth, This is who I am, this is what I want from you. And so when we look at the Ten Commandments, these are life-giving because they reflect God's nature. And... I just, I just meditated on that and I was looking through some of my books that I have and I was just thinking about I am who I am and when God's pouring himself out in this way by saying, I don't want you guys to be a people who lie. I don't, and how much more it is than just um, something that comes out of our mouth, how it's so much deeper than that. And I, I came up with three aspects of the truth of God and how all of reality originates in God and how being the I am, being the person who came before time and before space and all these things, he's, he's sharing that with us. So the first aspect of the truth of God that we see throughout all of Scripture is his unchanging, unmovable resolve to be himself. So he, he knows who he is and what he wants, and he isn't fickle or indecisive. He doesn't change his mind on things he and also, he doesn't need to be improved on or mature or grow. He doesn't need to be influenced by anybody else. Romans 11, uh, Paul talks about all this amazing stuff about God's plan for all of history. And at the end of it, he says, in Romans 11, verses 33 to 36, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that they should repay him? For him, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
And the Bible also calls him the rock or the unchanging one. That's a big metaphor that's used throughout the whole Old Testament, just about the unchangeableness and the dependability of God, if you can always come to him. And I'm reading through Isaiah right now, and just the dependability of uh, Israel having to go into captivity and come back out, and how they can still trust God as their rock. And that's something that we see throughout the whole Old Testament. So we got the first one, the unchanging, unmovable resolve to be himself. The second one is his, promise, his promises will always find fulfillment. So when he, when he decides something, he will guarantee it fully forever. And whether, whether that he's describing a reality or he's saying something in the future will happen, it will happen. And um, in our, can, it's interesting in our world where things are so throwaway now and disposable, it, it's funny that you, sometimes you buy a product and you think, man, this is going to be good, I'm going to keep this thing. And then you find out it's only good for a couple of years. Like we bought snowshoes and we said, well, what's the warranty like this? And then they said, well, it's a lifetime warranty. I said, that's, that's pretty cool. What does that mean? And they said, well, it's the lifetime of the product. And I said, okay, so how many years are we talking here? And he said, five, maybe three if you really are working hard in there. And I was thinking like, that's not a lifetime warranty. I'm sorry. <laughs> and there's so many other things like that too, right? Like, and in our world too, we think about things the way they used to be built and how they're so good quality. And now, you know, you buy a microwave or a toaster and it lasts a little while and then the thing packs it in, right? I got one of those kind of toaster ovens. And we see God that he doesn't have something so different about him, about he promises something and forever and ever it'll be that way. All things go as he plans and nothing is able to thwart what he, does, what he desires to do. So if he promises something, nothing's going to get in his way. And that's why Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Everything else is from the devil. And he's saying, if you want to say something to somebody and give them your word, make sure, even if the circumstances change, that you're willing to stick it through and then you'll make it happen. And we find that from, in God's character. And we also find that he fulfills oath and oath in every situation, no matter what the cost. And so he made a promise to David and he said, I love you and I want you to be the king. And from, from now on, there will never ever be a time when one of your um, grandchildren or your great-grandsons or whatever is going to be on the throne. And then we see going on into the prophets, like I'm in Isaiah, like I was saying, and God is just heartbroken. And he's like, oh man, you guys, I wish I could start over again, but I'm not going to for the sake of my servant David. And he talks about that about the nation as well. So and then as I was meditating, I came up with, yeah, that one, the unchanging, immovable resolve to be himself, his promise to find fulfillment, his promises will always find fulfillment, and the third one, his attitude of his transparency in his heart. And he's not a, guy, a God who hides things from us. I, like there's, there are many instances where we will not know everything about God, and the mystery and something about being way higher than us, we won't understand, but he's not a God who wants to hide things from us, and keep secrets from us. He has no reason to deceive because reality originates in him. So instead of trying to trick somebody and make them believe something, he just creates things as he sees fit. So this is all fine and good because this is God, but how does, as a human being, how do we, how do we deal with this? Because we don't have that same power as God. We don't have the ability to um, be everywhere at one time. We're not, we don't have the ability to be eternal, to change things at will around us. How do we live that way? And maybe that's kind of a couple. We can say, well, God is this way, so how, 
How can I ever add up to that? And in the New Testament, it teaches that in Hebrews 1, verse 3, it says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And when Jesus came to earth, it says that he emptied himself and he became a human being. And so he lived in the same weaknesses. Hebrews says he has the same weaknesses that we had, and yet he was without sin. And Jesus says in John 14, he says, If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And so even though he was weak, he came to God and he met with God, and God gave him the ability to be, have integrity in all three of these areas. So let's just look at Jesus' life here for a second uh, with these three aspects. The first one being consistent in nature and personality. And if you can remember, a lot of times in John, well, in all the Gospels, but especially John, Jesus would, somebody would come up to Jesus and say, this is kind of what we envision for you. This is what we think you should do. And Jesus would kind of say, no, like I'm here to do my Father's will. And at one point they took him and they said, like he preached an amazing message and they said, we're going to make you the king and we're going to take over the Romans, the Romans together. And he just said, that's not what I'm here for. And even his mother and his brothers came, and he was, he was preaching or teaching or something like that. And they came, and they kind of said, yeah, okay, it's time to come home now kind of thing. And he said, hey, like, I'm here to do my Father's will. And so Jesus had a consistency about his nature where he knew what God wanted from him, and he would stick with that. And he wasn't, he wasn't influenced by other people as much as I think sometimes we are. Uh, the second one about a truthfulness in all his expression. Obviously, he didn't lie, but I think maybe the other one is he kept his word with everything he said that he was going to do. He would stick it through. And you see in the Garden of Gethsemane how, how much fear he has and how much anxiety he has about going to the cross. And yet he says, if it's your will, if that's what you decided, then I guess we're going to stick it through. And it doesn't matter how hard this is going to get. This is what we're going we're gonna to do this. And the third one is a complete transparency. And uh, when, they come, when it comes time for when Jesus gets arrested by the chief priests, he says to them, like, why are you guys coming here at night? And he said, I'm not leading a rebellion. Everything I've done, I've taught in the temples. It's been in the open. My agenda, my heart, it's all been in the open. Why are you guys coming here to arrest me at night? And he said, now is the hour of darkness. Now is the time when you guys are here to, to, do, your, to do your work. And so we see in Jesus that desire to have complete transparency in our life. So, I guess, when it comes to lying and truthfulness and integrity, there's so many other aspects too. There's probably ones I haven't thought about that are in the Bible about God's character, but as a small group, we've been going through the book. Um, it's called Crazy Love. We just kind of started it. It's by Francis Chan. And it's talking, the first two chapters we've been reading have been talking about God's character and how about sometimes we need to just reflect on God, who he is, and that'll change us. And how sometimes we can't just take a whole bunch of, like, a code of ethics and have, like, a big billboard in our house and one in our car, one on our iPhone, one in our workplace, and check them off every morning, right? And he's talking about being in awe of God and how when we allow God to do that in our life, sometimes it'll wear, out, it'll wear into our life and it'll have its effect on us more than when we just decide we're going to adopt some code of ethics. So, looking at integrity in general, and looking at this verse, I just want to look at it again. It said, Exodus 20, 
Verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And I guess in the in its most literal interpretation, it would be if you went to court and if you were um, asked to come up onto the stand and to give a testimony or a witness about what you saw happen in a scene of a crime. And I think that is very, it's a very narrow interpretation. I don't think when God gave that, that's the only interpretation. And he was saying, hey, if you guys, as long as you guys get this right in court, whatever happens after doesn't really matter, right? And so we got we have these aspects of God, and I kind of want to just reflect on them and kind of reflect on them in our own lives. Because I know we've, we've looked at God himself, and then we've looked at Jesus here on earth. Sometimes it's even harder even just to go from Jesus to us. But the first one is a consistency in our personality and in our character. And this is sometimes, I sometimes have trouble with this, but being consistent wherever we are and I guess I've been convicted about this this year, about when I'm at work and when I'm at church and when I'm with my parents and with children, whoever I'm with, or if for some reason, say, I, like sometimes you get interviewed at like a hockey game or this or that, being the same person wherever you are, having that integrity to say, you know, I don't, I don't need to be influenced. I don't, I don't need to be influenced by the society around me. I don't need to feel accepted exactly the way that they want me to. And that was something that's kind of been hard for me, but God's been put it on my heart to say, hey, you've got to be the same person you are everywhere. And if people can accept you for that, that's fine, but you have to be who I am making you to be. And that's the person that I, when I spend time with God and that comes out, I think that's who he wants for me to be. And I think that allows us to be a light too, because I know sometimes at work, it's easy to just conform and to, to fit into whoever everybody else is and to lose our light. And I think God wants that from us. And going along with consistency in our personality and our character, I think, it, I think these aren't just things, too, where uh, these are commands from God that are restrictions, but I think they give us life. And I think the more that we are consistent in our, in our nature, I think the more confident we will be that we are not a whole bunch of different people and that we have to impress other people and we'll have a confidence about us the way that Jesus had. And I think we should be known as being loyal and dependable and somebody who finishes what we start. And I think... People in our world respect that. Somebody who has enough fortitude to persevere when it's hard. And somebody that they can say, you know what, I I trust that person because I know if they start it, they'll finish that. And that comes with our consistency. So on the second, that second spoken truth about lying and untruthfulness. And I gave those four examples um, about different times where it's a gray area and something like that. And I think that's something that we need to it comes with spending time with God. I think he'll give us wisdom in every circumstance, in every situation, because I can't really come up here and say, you know, if I was in World War II, I would, I would have said, yeah, they're upstairs. Like, I don't know what God would say in that circumstance, but I think spending time with God will allow us to have integrity and to be able to handle those kind of situations. But as far as the unfulfilled promises go, I think sometimes in my life, I don't really feel like... Um, if you, if you promise something to somebody and if it doesn't go through, I don't feel as bad as that as outright lying to somebody. And I think God wants us to have that same feeling where if you promise something to somebody, that you will follow through with it. And I know that's something that's hard for me, especially when you've got schedules to maintain and different people are asking you for different things. It's easy to forget. But I think part of integrity is having a good memory and to, 
to take the time to say, this is important to this person, and I promised I would do this for this person, and I will follow through with it. Because eventually, unfulfilled promises do become lies if we don't uh, make them happen. And I think it also gives us a carefulness in our life not to just jump in and and promise the world to somebody if we know we're not going to be able to fulfill it. And I think Jesus was about that too. Sometimes he he couldn't say, I'll do that for you, because he knew he wouldn't be able to commit to that. The third one is uh, transparency in all of our life. And I think we have to live our lives in such a way where we are being transformed by God and we, we're, we are an open book with people. And I think to see more and more how we are being changed from the inside out and to show our weaknesses to people is a good thing. And the, the first sin that ever happened in, in Genesis, Adam and Eve kind of rejected God's authority and they were hiding from God. And God's like, where are you guys? And obviously he could see where they were. He knew where they were hiding, but they said, like, where, where are you guys? And they're like, oh, uh, we're over here, and we built some clothes for ourselves. And he's like, why are you hiding from me kind of thing, right? And I think that's a tendency in our human nature when we become ashamed of some kind of aspect of our life that is sinful or we're hiding, and we want to show our character is more upright than it is. And I think God wants us as a community of faith to be open with each other. And um, I know in our small group, it's, it's been really good because we've been going through this book, and I think we're, we're getting more and more transparent with each other. We can trust each other. We can love each other and, and say, these are things that I'm going through, and um, can you pray for me? And, I want to, and we're seeing growth in each other through that. And I think along with transparency is just a humbleness to be open and to take people beside you who maybe are going through something that you've, been gone, that you've gone through in the past as well and to be transparent and to open that part of your life or maybe you've gone through a hard time and, and to be able to express, you know, this is what happened to me in this situ- situation. I didn't handle it properly. And this is how you can, you can do it better than I did. So I think when God is giving the Ten Commandments, especially I'm focusing on false testimony, but he's, he's talking about a community that he wants to see with these people and the harmony that he wants. And um, I just look at this, this community at Creekside here and it's just, an amazing place to be a part of. And I know that uh, I'm probably the person that needs to hear this sermon more than anybody else, but it's just amazing to see that when God reveals his truth, how his, how his people come, come beside that, and then they say, I'll take that on. And we see transformation. And I just want to encourage you in this sermon that all of integrity stems from God, and it's not something that we can just take on in ourselves, but it comes from him. It comes from spending time with him. And so this is kind of just what, what I've been meditating on the last little while. And um, yeah, it's just been, it's been good going through the Ten Commandments here. So I just want to pray and then I guess we'll ask the worship team to come up. Father God, we just come to you right now. And we just thank you that you are not a God who hides yourself and that you want to give to us uh, what we need and you want to give to us a harmony that, we, that we've lost. And you want to make us a community that loves each other and um, builds into one another. And we just ask that you will give us um, the strength to be people of integrity in all areas of our life. And just be with us the rest of this week. And we just pray that you just continue to meet with us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen.